"'Yes, and after I had cut the tassels of his boots, too. "'Boys never forget those tips at school, nor the givers.' "'I delight in Hessian boots,' said Rebecca. "'Joss Sedley, who admired his own legs prodigiously, "'and always wore this ornamental chasseur, "'was extremely pleased at this remark, "'though he drew his legs under his chair as it was made. "'Miss Sharp,' said George Osborne, "'you, who are so clever an artist, "'you must make a grand historical picture "'of the scene of the boots. "'Sedley shall be represented in buckskins, "'and holding one of the injured boots in one hand. "'By the other he shall have hold of my shirt-frill. "'Amelia shall be kneeling near him "'with her little hands up, "'and the picture shall have a grand allegorical title, "'as the frontispieces have in the medulla and the spelling-book. "'I shan't have time to do it here,' said Rebecca. "'I'll do it when—when when I'm gone.' and she dropped her voice, and looked so sad and piteous, that everybody felt how cruel her lot was, and how sorry they would be to part with her. "'Oh, that you could stay longer, dear Rebecca,' said Amelia. "'Why?' answered the other, still more sadly. "'That I may be only the more unhap, unwilling to lose you?' And she turned away her head. Amelia began to give way to that natural infirmity of tears which, we have said, was one of the defects of this silly little thing. George Osborne looked at the two young women with a touched curiosity, and Joseph Sedley heaved something very like a sigh out of his big chest as he cast his eyes down towards his favourite Hessian boots. "'Let us have some music, Miss Sedley, Amelia,' said George, who felt at that moment an extraordinary, almost irresistible impulse to seize the above-mentioned young woman in his arms, and to kiss her in the face of the company, and she looked at him for a moment, and if I should say that they fell in love with each other at that single instant of time, I should perhaps be telling an untruth, for the fact is that these two young people had been bred up by their parents for this very purpose— and their bands had, as it were, been read in their respective families any time these ten years. They went off to the piano, which was situated, as pianos usually are, in the back of the drawing-room, and as it was rather dark, Miss Amelia, in the most unaffected way in the world, put her hand into Mr. Osborne's, who, of course, could see the way among the chairs and ottomans a great deal better than she could. But this arrangement left Mr. Joseph Sedley tête-à-tête with Rebecca at the drawing-room table, where the latter was occupied in knitting a green silk purse. "'There is no need to ask family secrets,' said Miss Sharp. "'Those two have told theirs.' "'As soon as he gets his company,' said Joseph, "'I believe the affair is settled. George Osborne is a capital fellow.' "'And your sister, the dearest creature in the world,' said Rebecca. "'Happy the man who wins her.' With this, Miss Sharp gave a great sigh. When two unmarried persons get together and talk upon such delicate subjects as the present, a great deal of confidence and intimacy is presently established between them. There is no need of giving a special report of the conversation which now took place between Mr. Sedley and the young lady, for the conversation, as may be judged from the foregoing specimen, was not especially witty or eloquent. It seldom is in private societies, or anywhere except in very high-flown and ingenious novels. As there was music in the next room, the talk was carried on, of course, in a low and becoming tone, 
though for the matter of that the couple in the next apartment would not have been disturbed had the talking been ever so loud so occupied were they with their own pursuits almost for the first time in his life mr sedley found himself talking without the least timidity or hesitation to a person of the other sex miss rebecca asked him a great number of questions about india which gave him an opportunity of narrating many interesting anecdotes about that country and himself he described the balls at government house and the manner in which they kept themselves cool in the hot weather with punkas tatties and other contrivances and he was very witty regarding the number of scotchmen whom lord minto the governor-general patronized and then he described a tiger-hunt and the manner in which the mahout of his elephant had been pulled off his seat by one of the infuriated animals how delighted miss rebecca was at the government balls and how she laughed at the stories of the scotch aides-de-camp and called mr sedley a sad wicked satirical creature and how frightened she was at the story of the elephant for your mother's sake dear mr sedley she said and for the sake of all your friends promise never to go on one of those horrid expeditions pooh pooh miss sharp said he pulling up his shirt-collars the danger makes the sport only the pleasanter he had never been but once at a tiger-hunt when the accident in question occurred and when he was half killed not by the tiger but by the fright and as he talked on he grew quite bold and actually had the audacity to ask miss rebecca for whom she was knitting the green silk purse he was quite surprised and delighted at his own graceful familiar manner for any one who wants a purse replied miss rebecca looking at him in the most gentle winning way sedley was going to make one of the most eloquent speeches possible and had begun oh miss sharp how when some song which was performed in the other room came to an end, and caused him to hear his own voice so distinctly that he stopped, blushed, and blew his nose in great agitation. "'Did you ever hear anything like your brother's eloquence?' whispered Mr. Osborne to Amelia. "'Why, your friend has worked miracles.' "'The more the better,' said Miss Amelia, who, like almost all women who are worth a pin, was a matchmaker in her heart, and would have been delighted that Joseph should carry back a wife to India. She had, too, in the course of this few days' constant intercourse, warmed into a most tender friendship for Rebecca, and discovered a million of virtues and amiable qualities in her which she had not perceived when they were at Chiswick together. For the affection of young ladies is of as rapid growth as Jack's beanstalk, and reaches up to the sky in a night— it is no blame to them that after marriage this Sehnsucht nach der Liebe subsides. It is what sentimentalists, who deal in very big words, call a yearning after the ideal, and simply means that women are commonly not satisfied until they have husbands and children on whom they may centre affections, which are spent elsewhere, as it were, in small change. Having expended her little store of songs, or having stayed long enough in the back drawing-room, it now appeared proper to Miss Amelia to ask her friend to sing. "'You would not have listened to me,' she said to Mr. Osborne, though she knew she was telling a fib, "'had you heard Rebecca first. "'I give Miss Sharp warning, though,' said Osborne, "'that, right or wrong, I consider Miss Amelia Sedley the first singer in the world. 
"'You shall hear,' said Amelia, and Joseph Sedley was actually polite enough to carry the candles to the piano. Osborne hinted that he should like quite as well to sit in the dark, but Miss Sedley, laughing, declined to bear him company any farther, and the two accordingly followed Mr. Joseph. Rebecca sang far better than her friend, though of course Osborne was free to keep his opinion, and exerted herself to the utmost, and indeed to the wonder of Amelia, who had never known her perform so well. She sang a French song, which Joseph did not understand in the least, and which George confessed he did not understand, and then a number of those simple ballads which were the fashion forty years ago, and in which British tars, our king, poor Susan, blue-eyed Mary, and the like, were the principal themes. They are not, it is said, very brilliant in a musical point of view, but contain numberless good-natured simple appeals to the affections, which people understood better than the milk-and-water lagrime, sospiri, and felicita of the eternal Donizettian music with which we are favoured nowadays. Conversation of a sentimental sort, befitting the subject, was carried on between the songs, to which Sambo, after he had brought the tea, the delighted cook, and even Mrs. Blenkinsop, the housekeeper, condescended to listen on the landing-place. Among these ditties was one, the last of the concert, and to the following effect. Ah, bleak and barren was the moor, ah, loud and piercing was the storm, the cottage roof was sheltered sure, the cottage hearth was bright and warm. An orphan boy the lattice passed, and as he marked its cheerful glow, felt doubly keen the midnight blast, and doubly cold the fallen snow. They marked him, as he onward pressed, with fainting heart and weary limb. Kind voices bade him turn and rest, and gentle faces welcomed him. The dawn is up, the guest is gone, the cottage hearth is blazing still. Heaven pity all poor wanderers lone, hark to the wind upon the hill. It was the sentiment of the before-mentioned words, when I am gone, over again. As she came to the last words, Miss Sharp's deep-toned voice faltered. Everybody felt the allusion to her departure, and to her hapless orphan state. Joseph Sedley, who was fond of music and soft-hearted, was in a state of ravishment during the performance of the song, and profoundly touched at its conclusion. If he had had the courage, if George and Miss Sedley had remained, according to the former's proposal in the farther room, Joseph Sedley's bachelorhood would have been at an end, and this work would never have been written. But at the close of the ditty Rebecca quitted the piano, and, giving her hand to Amelia, walked away into the front drawing-room twilight, and at this moment Mr. Sambo made his appearance with a tray, containing sandwiches, jellies, and some glittering glasses and decanters, on which Joseph Sedley's attention was immediately fixed. When the parents of the house of Sedley returned from their dinner-party, they found the young people so busy in talking that they had not heard the arrival of the carriage, and Mr. Joseph was in the act of saying, "'My dear Miss Sharp, one little teaspoonful of jelly to recruit you after your immense, your, your delightful exertions.' "'Bravo, Joss,' said Mr. Sedley. On hearing the bantering of which well-known voice, Joss instantly relapsed into an alarmed silence and quickly took his departure. He did not lie awake all night thinking whether or not he was in love with Miss Sharp, 
the passion of love never interfered with the appetite or the slumber of Mr. Joseph Sedley. But he thought to himself how delightful it would be to hear such songs as those after Cutcherry. What a distingue girl she was! How she could speak French better than the Governor-General's lady herself, and what a sensation she would make at the Calcutta balls! It's evident the poor devil's in love with me, thought he. She is just as rich as most of the girls who come out to India. I might go farther and fare worse, egad! And in these meditations he fell asleep. How Miss Sharp lay awake, thinking, Will he come or not to morrow, need not be told here. To morrow came, and as sure as fate, Mr. Joseph Sedley made his appearance before luncheon. He had never been known before to confer such an honour on Russell Square. George Osborne was somehow there already, sadly putting out Amelia, who was writing to her twelve dearest friends at Chiswick Mall, and Rebecca was employed upon her yesterday's work. As Joe's buggy drove up, and while, after his usual thundering knock and pompous bustle at the door, the ex-collector of Bogleywalla laboured upstairs to the drawing-room, knowing glances were telegraphed between Osborne and Miss Sedley, and the pair, smiling archly, looked at Rebecca, who actually blushed as she bent her fair ringlets over her knitting. How her heart beat as Joseph appeared! Joseph, puffing from the staircase in shining, creaking boots, Joseph in a new waistcoat, red with heat and nervousness, and blushing behind his wadded neckcloth. It was a nervous moment for all, and as for Amelia, I think she was more frightened than even the people most concerned. Sambo, who flung open the door and announced Mr. Joseph, followed grinning in the collector's rear, and bearing two handsome nosegays of flowers, which the monster had actually had the gallantry to purchase in Covent Garden Market that morning. They were not as big as the haystacks which ladies carry about with them nowadays, in cones of filigree paper. But the young women were delighted with the gift, as Joseph presented one to each, with an exceedingly solemn bow. "'Bravo, Joss!' cried Osborne. "'Thank you, dear Joseph,' said Amelia, quite ready to kiss her brother if he were so minded. "'And I think, for a kiss from such a dear creature as Amelia, I would purchase all Mr. Lee's conservatories, out of hand.' "'Oh, heavenly, heavenly flowers!' exclaimed Miss Sharp, and smelt them delicately, and held them to her bosom, and cast up her eyes to the ceiling in an ecstasy of admiration.' Perhaps she just looked first into the bouquet, to see whether there was a billet doux hidden among the flowers, but there was no letter. "'Do they talk the language of flowers at Bogleywalla, Sedley?' asked Osborne, laughing. "'Pooh! nonsense!' replied the sentimental youth. "'Bought em at Nathan's. Very glad you like em. And eh, Amelia, my dear, I bought a pineapple at the same time, which I gave to Sambo. Let's have it for Tiffin. Very cool and nice this hot weather.' Rebecca said she had never tasted a pine, and longed beyond everything to taste one. So the conversation went on. I don't know on what pretext Osborne left the room, or why. Presently Amelia went away, perhaps to superintend the slicing of the pineapple, but Joss was left alone with Rebecca, who had resumed her work, and the green silk and the shining needles were quivering rapidly under her white slender fingers. What a beautiful— "'Beautiful song that was you sang last night, dear Miss Sharp,' said the collector. 
"'It made me cry almost. "'Pon my honour it did.' "'Because you have a kind heart, Mr. Joseph. "'All the Sedleys have, I think. "'It kept me awake last night, "'and I was trying to hum it this morning in bed. "'I was, upon my honour. "'Gollop, my doctor, came in at eleven, "'for I'm a sad invalid, you know, "'and see Gollop every day. "'And, gad, there I was, singing away like a robin. "'Oh, you droll creature!' "'Do let me hear you sing it.' "'Me? No, you, Miss Sharp. "'My dear Miss Sharp, do sing it.' "'Not now, Mr. Sedley,' said Rebecca, with a sigh. "'My spirits are not equal to it. "'Besides, I must finish the purse. "'Will you help me, Mr. Sedley?' "'And before he had time to ask how, "'Mr. Joseph Sedley, of the East India Company's service, "'was actually seated tete-a-tete with a young lady, "'looking at her with a most killing expression,' his arms stretched out before her in an imploring attitude, and his hands bound in a web of green silk, which she was unwinding. In this romantic position Osborne and Amelia found the interesting pair, when they entered to announce that Tiffin was ready. The skein of silk was just wound round the card, but Mr. Joss had never spoken. "'I am sure he will to-night, dear,' Amelia said, as she pressed Rebecca's hand. "'and Sedley, too, had communed with his soul, and said to himself, "'Gad, I'll pop the question at Vauxhall.'" End of chapter 4